When I grew up, our Sunday morning services were called the worship service, right? I was in a Baptist church. And in the Baptist church, when you came in the back door, they gave you a bulletin. You remember what bulletins look like? Anybody know what a bulletin is? So it usually had some flowery thing on the front and you open it up and it would say prayer and then say hymn 422 and then it'd say uh, deacon of the week or whatever and and solo special music, all of this type of stuff. Now, in my particular um, church, it said order of service. All right. That's what it was said at the top. Now, if your church was really, really spiritual, you would call it the order of worship because that's a much more spiritual thing. And if you went from order of service to order of worship, it took six committees and all of the deacons voting unanimously to make one change in that. I'm exaggerating. It only took five committees and the majority of deacons, but, um, but you understand what I'm saying. Now, when I was a kid, I never thought about that word worship, never crossed my mind. What does that mean? But I've been thinking about it a lot lately and I, and I looked this up and here's where it comes from. Worship actually comes from a term that means worth-ship. My, I had a seminary professor that talked about this. He said, worth. When, whenever you worship something, you're declaring its value. Whenever you worship someone, you're declaring its value. So when you give up one hour of your week on a Sunday morning to come here, you're declaring that God is valuable enough to you that you'll give him one out of 168 hours that you've had that week. And so... Um, The interesting thing is that from the very beginning, humans have worshipped something or someone. The problem is humans could never agree on what or whom should we worship. Because this group over here said, oh, well, we're going to worship this God who brings rains. And we're going to worship this God um, who will will bring the crops. And we're going to worship this God um, so that hopefully we'll have some healthy children. They were always trying to figure out what is the magic combination. By the way, when I'm saying gods, I'm using a lowercase g and I'm using an s to refer to idols that have no power. But they thought they had power. And so what is this magic combination of words and actions that we need to do to get this God to pay attention to us and like us? It wasn't so much about the gods. It was, what do I have to do to please the gods so they pay attention to me so I can get what I want? And somewhere along the way, they decided that spilling of blood was of value to the gods. And the more valuable the blood, the more value they thought they were demonstrating to their God whenever they spilled that blood. So for example, certain cultures, when they would defeat their enemies, they would spill the enemy of the blood, the, the blood of the enemy to say to their God, lowercase g, this, thank you for giving us victory. And we're going to give you the blood of our enemies that you delivered into our hands. Somebody else said, no, 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 it'd be much more valuable to our gods, our idols, if we sacrificed our own people. And this happens in the Mayan empire. This happened in the Mayan empire. I actually saw a playing field where they played this game and the winner of the game, not only do you get a crown, you get to die for your people to satisfy and everybody else who loses. Cause I thought, well, why not just lose? And they said, well, everybody who dies loses and you get this horrible death. You, you, you get drugged before you get killed if you win the game. But but you're sacrificed to the gods and your family is well taken care of. Woo! Seems dumb to me, but that's, that was the deal. Maybe that's why the minds are no longer here. I don't know. Um, someone said, no, no, we need to offer children. This is abhorrent to me. Someone said we need to spill. It, it would be more valuable to our gods, our, our idols, if we spilled the, the, the blood of children. And then, and then when it was really crazy, some of these leaders sacrificed their own children to try to get the attention of their God. And I just don't even understand that. Now, their sacrifices were nothing more than a bribe to get the God to do for them what they wanted to do. We need crops. We need rain. We need this. And, and there was this constant guessing game of what do we have to do? How do we get this God's attention, this idol? And the Bible says that all of these idols, they have eyes they can't see. They have mouths they can't speak. They, they don't think. They're dumb. They're made, of, they're made up. 
But these people were like, what do we have to do to please the God of this area so that we'll get his blessing? And, and fortunately for them, um, they had some people like me. Now, I'm not saying I'm going to do this, but I'm saying they had religious people who said, hey, we know the secret to the gods. Now, the gods don't talk to you, but they talk to us. And of course, we can get the gods, if you'll do what I say, we can get the gods to do what you want them to do for a price. See, there was always this parallel between making the gods happy and making the priests, the religious people, happy. Um, actually saw this in, in Haiti. Our second year in Haiti, our bus breaks down and we happen to be right in front of uh, a voodoo temple. We didn't know it at the time. And, and so then our, our translator told us, he goes, hey, I, I realize that's a voodoo temple right there. And then, and then later he goes, and that's the voodoo priest coming up here. And so we started asking him questions about this. And we said, well, well tell us more about it. Now, by the way, if you go on the internet, you'll, you'll see all these articles about Haiti is a voodoo nation. There's very little voodoo now there. There's a whole lot of Christians. There's far more Christians than there are um, voodoo, but, but anyway, old, old, um, rumors die hard. But so he said, there you guys, he said, there's two different types of voodoo priests. There's the good priest and the bad priest. And I said, well, what's the good priest? And he said, if you want blessings on your life, if you believe in this junk, you go to this good priest and you say, I need a blessing. He said, okay, here's how much money you have to pay me and I'll bless your life. Now there's a condition. If you want the blessing to continue next year on this anniversary, you got to come back and give me more money. And I'm like, dude, that's, that's not a bad plan. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I was just thinking, tithe, you got to get tithe. Anyway, um, so you have to keep it going. Now I said, so what's the bad he said, well, if you want to curse somebody else, you bless yourself, but if you want to curse somebody, you go to the, 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 the dark witch doctor and he, he pronounces this curse upon them. And of course, you have to give the money up front. And then every year, if you want the curse to continue, you have to pay again on that day. And I was going, wow, this is crazy. And as I study the Old Testament, I see that the Jewish worship was very different than all of these people trying to get the attention of their gods. See, you, you could, and in fact, God told them to have animal sacrifice, but why they sacrificed the animals was very, very different than the pagan nations. Israel never sacrificed to try to get something from their God. Israel's sacrifices, they did them because they already had something from God, a relationship with the true God, the, the capital G, the one and only God. Um, this was radically different than any other nation in history. And Israel's God, again, radically different. Israel's God initiated the relationship with Israel and then he gives them a set of rules. He said, I'm gonna put, take you in this land. Here's the rules you need to follow. This is in Deuteronomy 21, uh, 28, starting in, in verse one. God says, if you fully obey the Lord your God, and carefully keep all the commandments that I am giving you today. The Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the world. You, are, you will experience all these blessings if you obey the Lord your God. And then he lists all the blessings. If you want to know about the covenant, God made a covenant with Israel. Covenant is a commitment on steroids. It's a blood covenant. Um, he makes this commitment and he says, here's the blessings that you'll get if you obey. And then, then in the next part of the chapter, he says, but if you disobey, here are all the curses you will receive. This is a covenant I, the Lord, will keep with you. So he's saying, you're already my people, so you don't need to bribe me. He said, I'm going to give you this land called the promised land, Canaan, because you are my people. And I'm going to give you a set of rules. You need to know before you go in this land that if you obey me and you behave the way I tell you to behave, then I'm going to bless you. But if you misbehave, you will still be my people and I will kick you out of the land. This is, if you've got children or grandchildren, this is kind of how timeout works, you know, the, the, the boy, we'll just choose a boy, the boy, go over there and get in that corner. And when you can come back and be a productive member of our family, you can come back over here. You're 
you're still my son. I still love you, but you got to change yourself. This is what God was saying. God says, if you misbehave, I will still love you. You don't have to bribe me, but I will flat put you in time out. And God put Israel in time out time and again. Now, God's law, very different, put a huge premium on how people related to each other, how the Israelites were supposed to relate to each other, how they were supposed to relate to foreigners, even workers in their homes and businesses. God says, you need to be very careful how you treat other people. You could offer animal sacrifices, that was part of the deal, but, but you could never in God's law, in, in the Hebrews, you couldn't offer people sacrifices, human sacrifices, and you certainly could not offer children as sacrifices. This was so different than all the other nations. And, and this changed the way Israel and people worshiped the true God. See, all the pagan uh, gods cared about, or all the pagan nations they cared about was getting their, the attention of their God. Their God didn't care how you treated your wife or your children or your, or your friends or your workers or your foreigners. They didn't care at all. It was just, what it, what's in it for me? How can I get his attention? But the Jewish God was very, very different. He was less concerned, check this out, he's less concerned about sacrifice than he was the condition of their heart because he could not and would not be bribed. And that's what led Solomon, the wisest man to ever live, to write this in Proverbs 21.3. The Lord is more pleased when we do what is right and just than when we offer him sacrifices. It's like God saying, look, you can sacrifice to me all day long. I'm not going to be impressed if your heart's not right. You can, you can sacrifice half of the sheep in Israel, but if you're disobedient, I'm still going to kick you out of the land because I'm more concerned with how you behave than what you sacrificed to me. This was so different than anything in history, especially as it related to the gods, you know, the lowercase g and the S, because Israel was the first nation that believed in one God, only one God. And see, for that reason, Israel's sacrificial system wasn't designed to keep that God happy or get his attention. Israel's sacrificial system was designed to make atonement for sin atonement for sin. And, and let's just break that apart so that you can maybe remember it a little better. Atonement means at one It means two parties are estranged and you need to come back together at one And so literally the Hebrew word actually means to cover and it, it talks about our relationship with the one true God. And, it, and to cover means to cover my sin so that I can be acceptable in the sight of a sinless God. He cannot look upon sin. When I atone for my sin through sacrifices, it covers my sin, then God can look at me. The spilling of the blood of an innocent animal wasn't to bribe God, it was to cover their sins. And see, that was the deal. If you're gonna be right with God, somebody's gotta die, somebody's gotta spill their blood. Either it's you or an innocent third party, an animal in the Old Testament system could have their blood spilled and that blood could be sprinkled on you to atone for or to cover your sins. Sin costs somebody their life. And so when you get to the New Testament and Paul says, for the wages of sin is death, Everybody in the Jewish nation was like, yes, we've been killing animals for years to cover our sins. We understand the wages, the cost of our sins is death. So day after day, year after year, individual Jews would go to the temple. They would take their prize of their herd lamb, one year old, no spot, no defect, take it to the priest. The priest would kill that lamb, take some of the blood, sprinkle it on the altar, some of the blood, sprinkle it on the person and say, your sins are atoned for. So individuals did that throughout the year whenever they felt far from God. And then one time a year, all of the nation would come together for this festival called the Day of Atonement. It's the most holy day of the year. And, and the Day of Atonement, where the nation would come together, not individuals, the whole nation. And this would be massive. The Temple Mount would be full of people all around the temple, outside the walls. The ramparts, they call it, the walls would be 
packed with people and you wanted to get as close as possible because the, the high priest would take a lamb and he would sacrifice the lamb and he would sprinkle some of it on the altar and then he would turn and he would take this, this uh, plant called hyssop. It kind of has some, some leaves on it and he would dip it in there and he would sprinkle the, the blood over the people to say to the people, today as a nation, our sins are atoned for. Your sins are covered temporarily. See, that's the thing, temporarily. And then this really strange, or not strange, this really interesting thing happens on the Day of Atonement. After he sacrifices and sprinkles the blood, he brings a goat up, the high priest would, and he would symbolically, he would place both hands on the head of the goat, and he was saying, spiritually, we're taking all the sins of the nation, we're putting them on this goat. This is where we get the idea, the term scapegoat. We're putting the sins of the nation on top of the goat, and then some dude was assigned to take the goat, lead the goat across the Temple Mount, down the steps, through the streets, the crowded streets out into the valley way out into the wilderness and he would abandon the goat in the wilderness now the the guy considered dirty or or unclean because he took the goat out there can you imagine if i'm the guy i'm taking him way out there because you don't want to see the scapegoat wandering back into town with all the sins of the nation for the past year ah run away it's an escaped scapegoat i don't know just made that one up didn't didn't work and, and so God was saying to them, I'm going to carry your sins away temporarily because next year you're going to come back and do it again. And the next year you're going to come back and do it again. And the next year. You see, Jewish worship was a temporary fix for a problem that required a permanent solution. Temporary fix required a permanent solution. And all of this was a foreshadowing of when Jesus was going to come and be that permanent solution to our ultimate problem, which is sin. See, out of all the nations on earth, God chose one. Actually, he started with Abraham and he made him into a nation. And then he said, I'm going to send you into this land and I'm going to give you rules about how you're supposed to behave, about sacrifices and obedience. And if you offend me by offending someone I love, not only do you have to make atonement to me, God said, you also have to make reconciliation with other human beings. This atonement was not forgiveness of sins. It was a temporary covering of sins by the blood of an innocent third party. Year after year, individual Jews would go to the temple, make sacrifices for their sins, and then once a year they would come together on the Day of Atonement, at onement, and they would atone for the sins of the nation. And they did this for thousands of years. Until around AD 30, some dude shows up out in the wilderness preaching. And he says his hair is wild and he wears kind of wild looking clothes. And I, I kind of imagine him being wild eyed and he lives off locusts and honey. And his name was John the Baptist. You want to know why he's called John the Baptist? Because he, he visited the Presbyterian church. He visited the Methodist church, but he said, I'm going to join the Baptist church. So they called him John the, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm just saying if you're still awake. They called him John the Baptist because he baptized people. He's actually John the baptizer. Now, see, the Jews, they, they understood baptism, but they'd never seen someone baptize another person because for the Jews, let's say you're a Gentile, which we are, unless somebody in here is a Jew. A Gentile is anybody who's not blood relative of a Jew. And so there was this ceremony where a Gentile could become a Jew. You would eat this special ceremonial meal, and then there was this purified water, and, and publicly you would have to dip yourself down in the water to say, I'm no longer going to follow the gods, the lowercase g, I'm going to follow the one capital G, God of Israel, 
And so you did this ceremony where you baptized yourself, but they had never seen anyone baptize someone else. So when John the Baptist, kind of a crazy dude, starts saying, repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins, everybody went out to see what was going on. And I didn't put this in on, on the screen, but here's what it says in the Bible. People went out from him, to him from Jerusalem, Judea, the whole region. Thousands and thousands of people were coming to check out John the Baptist. And this was a big deal because if you're in Jerusalem, just Jerusalem, it's a three-day trip. You, it would take one day downhill. It wasn't bo- uphill both ways, no matter what your granddad said. You go downhill to the Jordan River where John was preaching. You would spend a day listening to him, watching him baptize. And then it would be a day journey back three days out of your life to figure out who this guy was. This must've been a big deal because people start saying the old Testament says there's going to be a Messiah. Could this guy be the Messiah? He's, he's radical. Maybe he's the Messiah. So thousands of people went out to check him out. And, and so eventually the religious leaders, they say, we need to send some representatives to go, go interrogate him. They go down they say, John, are you the Messiah? And he goes, no, no, I'm not even worthy to untie his sandals, but he's coming. And my job was to point him out to you and I'm going to point him out to you. You need to get ready. He's coming. Eventually, the Sadducees and the Pharisees, the highest, uh, you know, the, the, the highest religious leaders, the ones who wore the robes and they had the big hats and, and they had, you know, tassels, prayer tassels. They had prayer things on their forehead, phylacteries, they're called, and they would put the scriptures in there. And they're so holy. Sorry, I'm making fun of them. Um, and, and people would say, oh, he's so holy. You know, and they would, they would honor the Sadducees and Pharisees. Even when they came in, they'd give them the best seats. If they were at a banquet, they'd give them the best seats at, at concerts, whatever. And, and when the Sadducees and Pharisees made eye contact with John, and I think they saw the look on his face, I think they realized we messed up. Because listen to what happens in Matthew chapter 3. Many of the Pharisees and Sadducees came to the place where John was baptizing people. When John saw them, he said, you are snakes. And he did not mean that in a nice way. You're snakes. And there's only two people that I know of that called the scribes and the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Jesus called them snakes. John called them snakes. He said, you are snakes. Who warned you to run away from God's coming punishment? This is not the way to ingratiate yourself to the religious leaders. He offended them before they even got words out of their mouths. And then, then he anticipates what they're going to say because, because the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they'd been on Ancestry.com and they could trace their lineage all the way back to Abraham, the first one. We're sons of Abraham. You look in the scripture. Every time you see we're sons of Abraham, they're saying Ancestry.com tells me I'm all the way related to him. So I got Abe's blood in, in my veins. Don't you tell me I can't do this. And so John says, by the way, don't even tell me you're children of Abraham. And then he, then he insults everyone. He says, God could raise up children from, for Abraham from rocks. You mean? Yeah, I mean. He says, so if you're not serious about this real God thing, don't interrupt me. Now, when God had everything just like he wanted, when he had riled up everybody so that everybody's paying attention to John the Baptist, something radical happened. John stops. He's got all of these people. He's, in the, he's at the Jordan River. He's looking up on the bank and it's kind of a steep bank and, and he looks up above him and he stops and he stares and he goes, look. See, all of y'all are looking at me and John's like, the only reason I'm here is to point you to him. You ask if I was the Messiah? Uh-uh, uh-uh. There he is, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He said, the only reason I'm here, the only reason I'm well known is to point to him. 
By the way, Jesus said, John the Baptist is the greatest man ever born of woman. He said, the only reason I'm here is to point to him. If John the Baptist said, the only reason I'm here is to point to him, what does that say about your life? You are here to point to him. I don't care how big your church is. I don't care who you are. You're here to make him known. He says the ultimate solution to our ultimate problems right there, the lamb of God. And see, they knew, they knew this whole sacrificial system. When he said the lamb of God who takes away, takes away. Because in the Old Testament system, it didn't take away, it covered. And Jesus is gonna be a different kind of sacrifice who carries away the sins, the final sacrifice for sin, unlike anything in history. Now, I wanna fast forward about 30 years when the writer of Hebrews explains all of this to us all of this sacrificial system. Here's what he says in Hebrews chapter 10. The old system under the law of Moses was only a shadow. It was a foreshadow of Jesus, a dim preview of the good things to come, not the good things themselves. The sacrifices under that system were repeated again and again, year after year, but they never were able to produce perfect cleansing. I want you to say perfect cleansing. Say it again. Thank you. It was not able to provide perfect cleansing for those who came to worship. If, it, if they could have provided perfect cleansing, say perfect cleansing, the sacrifices would have stopped for the worshipers would have been purified once for all time and their feelings of guilt would have disappeared. But instead, those sacrifices actually reminded them of their sins year after year. For Check this out. It is not possible for the blood of bulls and goats to do what? Take away. It is not possible for the for the blood of bulls and goats to take away your sins only to cover them. Yes, it can cover them, but only temporarily. Only Jesus can take them away. Worship was forever changed for the Jews and for the rest of us when John said, there's the lamb of God who takes away. This had never happened before, the sins of the world. And so he comes, he says, I'm gonna, I'm gonna die in your place and I'm gonna carry away all of your sins. Jesus came to totally with... Uh, what did I say? Totally replaced the entire sacrificial system. Not that there was anything wrong with it, but it was temporary. And Jesus came to offer the permanent. Sin would no longer be atoned for. Sin would no longer be covered up. Sin would be forgiven and carried away once and for all. See, it was this unprecedented reversal where God came down and became one of us to carry away our sins. See, for, for thousands and thousands of years, humans had been sacrificing animals and people, spilling blood, trying to get the gods, the idols, to pay attention to them. For a couple of thousand years, the Jews had been sacrificing the way God told them to, to atone for, to cover up their sins. But now, radical change. I'm gonna carry away your sin forever. And instead of demanding something, Jesus came to offer something that we'd never had before. Peace and reconciliation with the one true God. In the course of one afternoon, when Jesus died, he changed worship forever. It would no longer be a sacrifice to appease God's idols or even the real God. It wouldn't be to sacrifice or, or atone for sin. It would be this Christian worship would now be a time where we remember something that had already happened a sacrifice that had already been made. Remember, they gathered, they brought their lambs, they killed them and watched them. No, 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 we're not gonna do that in worship anymore. We're gonna, we're gonna worship the lamb who's already been slain. So here's the last thing on your listening guide. When we gather week after week, we don't gather to call God down. We gather because God already came down 2,000 years ago. We celebrate on the first day of the week because that's the day Jesus was resurrected from the dead. And see, because he resurrected from the dead, it validates all of his claims. 
If, if somebody predicts their own death, I'm going to die on a cross, I'm going to be placed in a tomb, and three days later I'm going to rise again, and then he pulls it off, I think wise people should listen to that guy, not the founders of other religions who are still in their grave. See, we should accept Jesus' interpretation of his life. We should accept Jesus' interpretation of his death and resurrection. We're celebrating the fact that Jesus rose from the dead, which means everything he taught us is true. Everything he said about God is true. Everything he taught us about eternal life is true. Everything he taught us about having relationships with other people is true. (laughs) So we should pay attention to him. We're about to take the Lord's Supper today, and let me just tell you a couple of things about it. First of all, the Lord's Supper is only for Christians. If you're not a Christ follower today, if you're not sure, I'm actually going to lead you in a prayer. Today could be the day that you take the Lord's Supper for the first time. The Lord's Supper, Jesus is in the the night before he was crucified. He's having the Passover meal with his disciples. In the middle of the meal, he stands up and he says, this bread represents my body broken for you. And he broke it and they, they ate a piece of it. Now he gave it new significance because he said, when you eat this bread, you are accepting my death on the cross. You're accepting my offer to follow me and give you new life. And so when you take the bread, you're telling everyone around that you're a follower of Christ. And then he took the cup and he said, this cup is my, represents my blood, which was spilled for you on the cross. The Bible tells us without the shedding, of blood there cannot be any forgiveness of sins old testament it was an animal new testament the lamb of god jesus christ who takes away the sins of the world so when we take the lord's supper today we're we're saying to to god i accept your offer of what jesus did on the cross i accept that i'm a sinner need to be saved so when you drink the cup when you take the the bread you are symbolizing to god i'm in your family that's why it's only for believers now there's a couple of things when you take the lord's supper you're supposed to examine your own heart in 1 Corinthians, it, it tells us about this. It says, you, if you have sin in your heart, don't you come to the table. Because when you come to the table, you could actually drink the, the, the you could violate the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. It's symbolic, but, but don't take it lightly. But if you've confessed your sin, feel free to come to the table. The second thing it says is we're supposed to look around. Look around this room and think about other relationships. If there's a relationship that is messed up, you know it is messed up and you haven't done anything to fix that relationship, don't come to the Lord's Supper table. You go to that person and then you come to the Lord's Supper table. Now, I always have to say this. The Bible says, as far as it depends on you in Romans, live at peace with everyone. What that means is some people will not let you live at peace with them. If you've tried to make peace with them and they don't want to reconcile with you, that's their problem, not your problem. You come to the Lord's Supper table. Now, it doesn't mean you go, sorry, no. You've actually made an effort. And if you've done that, then feel free to come to the Lord's Supper table. So we're going to pray. I'm going to lead you in a prayer. If you've never prayed to receive Christ and and you'd like to do that today to be adopted into his family, today could be the day you take the Lord's Supper for the first time. And so what we're going to do, you know, we normally talk about the baskets. We're not going to talk about that today. Chris is going to start some music after I finish praying. You pray and, and examine your heart, and if you've confessed your sin and you feel like you're in right relationships with other people, then come to the table and, and drink the cup and, and eat the bread, and then I'm going to ask you to leave quietly because some folks are going to stay in here for a while just to do, do business with God. And so you feel free to talk once you get out in the living room, but in here, we're, we're doing business with God.